Hello and welcome to the Cambridge Literary Festival podcast. My name's Alex Clark and this time I was joined by another Alexandra, Alex Shulman, the former editor of Vogue magazine, a post she held for 25 years. She joined me to talk about her new book, Clothes and Other Things That Matter. I so enjoyed reading the book because, like everybody, clothes are an important thing in my life. They do matter, but I'm not always sure why. And it strikes me that one of the things that the book does is really go into detail about why they are so important to us. And it's a lot of different reasons, isn't it? Yeah, when I started writing the book, I didn't realise that it was going to be about why clothes mattered. You know, it was one of those books that I felt my way through. And as I began writing, actually, the very first chapter, which was about red shoes, you know, as sandals, I realised that there was a lot of kind of emotion and resonances and the way things, uh, memories and things attach themselves to, to clothes, not just to the actual clothes, but the experience of wearing the clothes or owning the clothes or shopping for the clothes. So it sort of, yeah, so it came about like that. That really resonated with me, that opening chapter that was about the experience of going to get measured for your school shoes, which were red sandals, and being told was that you had wide feet. And I would very much sympathise with that. And it, it left you sort of not really being that fond of red shoes for the rest of the, your life, although you do have a penchant and an attachment for white shoes, we discover. So there are these things that you love as well. And that sort of, there's a wonderful phrase in the book, you know, something becomes a companion, your perfect dress becomes a companion through your life, doesn't it? Yes, I, I think that different clothes obviously mean completely different things don't they to all of us and I think actually that was a coat that I was referring to it's kind of like the object that I'd probably if I had to pick one out of everything that I have in my wardrobe it was this coat because every time I wear it I have a nice time in it and I you know sometimes I wonder whether when that happens with clothes, you know, where's the chicken and where's the egg? Is it because you've had a good time in something that you feel good when you put it on and therefore you're more likely to have a good time the next time or not? One of the things, of course, that we should say is that clothes have formed a very, very large part of your working life. You were editor of Vogue for 25 years and you write very compellingly and I think perhaps slightly unexpectedly for people coming to this for the first time your sort of ambivalence towards the world of high fashion and and the feeling that you had when you took up that job of thinking well I don't know if I'll dress correctly what do I wear for my photo shoot am I going to have to be one of these absolutely pristinely and perfectly dressed people at all times and you kind of say throughout the book I'm not really that kind of person what I wanted to do with the book was to try and give a kind of glimpse at, at, at what it was like being immersed in this very lovely world of fashion, sort of glamorous and not exactly immaculate, but, you know, kind of shiny and vibrant and all of the things that I think are attached with fashion and contrast that with real life and the reality of of my life and my emotions so I made a conscious effort when I was writing the book to think about 
when I was, say, describing a suit that I might have owned to do a job, you know, what I was actually thinking when that that happened. I think I did it with the day that I was going to be given, well, not given, but um, sort of awarded the, the editorship. And I went out and bought a, a suit the day before for that meeting. I knew I'd got the job, but I had to actually sort of, as it were, formally be appointed it. And I wrote in my diary, I only discovered this when I was writing the book, so I hadn't looked at my diary for years, you know, that the, the night before I dreaded what was actually going to happen, you know, that it was something, I knew that I was, get, I was getting something, but I didn't know whether I wanted it. So I wanted to sort of attach that, that emotion to the idea of the suit as well, if that makes sense. Yes, and you you talk very kind of interestingly because, of course, the clothes that we wear are also related to the clothes that other people have worn, people who are close to us. And in that particular vein, you talk a lot about your aunt and how your aunt meant something to you because she always looked so amazingly turned out in in suits and powerful and in control of, of the world. And it's interesting how much we can try to create our personality and our effect on the world through through clothes and outfits. Definitely. I, mean, I think, you know, we all know that clothes are the kind of the most immediate shorthand to say something about yourself. You know, somebody sees you and they see you in your clothes and they will make some kind of immediate decision about you of some kind or other. I mean, that might very rapidly get overturned when you open your mouth or when you do something. But you know, your appearance provokes such a knee-jerk reaction. So obviously, different items of clothing can can create a message that you that you want to give out. And yes, I, I talked about my aunt Constance because she was a she was a businesswoman, and I hadn't really realised this until I wrote the book. But I realised that she was sort of the first kind of businesswoman I'd ever met who appeared to be having fun in her life and sort of really, really loved it. I mean, didn't know many businesswomen, obviously, when I was sort of, you know, 12, 13, 14. But as I got to know her more and spent more time with her, she was American, she lived in LA. The way she dressed, which was always in the same suits, but she had them in a multitude of colours. And indeed, she bought me my first suit you know that became again associated with the idea of being a successful working woman I think. It's interesting how much we attach importance to the clothes that powerful women wear and you know think about Theresa May being being prime minister her outfits and indeed her love of clothes were sometimes presented as a kind of counterpoint to her slightly straight-laced personality but also sometimes a kind of rod to beat her with I mean it's a very fine line that powerful women have to tread with their clothes isn't it oh it's the finest of lines to sort of tiptoe along between if you're a a powerful woman or a, a woman in the public eye how you dress is sort of fraught with problems but particularly if you're a politician or someone who is seen as someone who is meant to be and I use quotes here serious and professional and people less so than they used to but still to some degree people are suspicious of somebody's getting too much pleasure or seeming to out of how they dress or you know being too colorful or 
too experimental. It, it doesn't seem to them that this is the way that a person who's in charge should dress. But I mean, I think that is changing. And and I, you might have noticed there's a woman, Helena Morrissey, who has started a sort of Instagram site about her clothes. And she's one of the most, the most successful businesswomen in this country. And she sort of partially done it as a way of showing that you can really enjoy your clothes and be in charge of billions of pounds worth of other people's money. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to enjoy clothes. We don't always enjoy them. And I was very struck by a line in your book in the, in the section about bras. Um, I should say that you you kind of itemise your wardrobe at the beginning of the book and you have 556 individual pieces in it. But among those are 35 bras. And you say you don't actually love any of them. So it's quite an amazement to you that you've got so many. But of course, they're just <laughs> those things that you have to have, aren't they? Although you did without one for a long time. I did. I didn't wear a bra from, I think it was 17 to 37. And one of the things that's intrigued me about the book is that of all the things I've written in the book, this is one of the things that's that's had the most commentary. And actually, it was one of the things I thought was of the least moment. Um, <laughs> it surprises me that people thought it was somewhat strange not to wear a bra. But then when I was thinking about this the other day, I realised that nowadays, very few women don't wear bras when, of course, during that period, which was sort of the late 70s and, well, I suppose I went on longer than most people because I went through the 80s not wearing a bra and maybe that was pushing it. But, you know, sort of from the kind of women's lib sort of, you know, bra burning that didn't actually happen, but, you know, bra burning days through, it was always, to me, not wearing a bra was a kind of sign of, of freedom, but also simply that it was so much more comfortable than wearing one. I mean, we know that women through the ages, and actually men too, have often put themselves in situations of extreme discomfort while wearing clothes. Sometimes one thinks those days are receding and then they still seem to be there. There still seems to be, for example, now it's a sort of obsession with shapewear, isn't it? It's a, There still seems to be this interest in restricting our bodies. And I wonder to what extent you feel clothes do represent the discomforts that we feel about our own bodies. There is that famous line, isn't it? I always get it, so it ill forth it's necessary to suffer in order to be beautiful and I think that there's a smidgen of that that is not exactly true but an element in that which is that there is some kind of containment and restraint that clothing puts on us I mean unless we're wearing a kind of tent really you are being confined by your clothes and that hampers your or it alters the way that you move alters the way that that you feel and I mean shapewear for instance is to me such an interesting thing because it, it comes up in a bit about the slip dress and about on my on my rather eccentric wedding day where there was only me and my husband to be and two witnesses I I sort of ended up buying a pair of white spanks to wear underneath the dress that all happened at the last minute but that was sort of the only unpleasant thing about the day I mean I hated wearing them and I've never worn a pair since I can't bear that thing of being sort of pushed in like a sausage it's 
it's horrible. But on the other hand, many women actually find that they they feel it's a relief having somebody else hold them in, something else hold them in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, I mean, I kind of always feel with that there's got to be a sort of fine, like, you know, there's a happy medium there. It is nice to be contained, but you, you sort of feel with things like Spanx and Extreme Shape, it's got to go somewhere. Where is it going? I know, and sometimes you discover very unfortunately where it's going. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's interesting, of course, we're talking about all this now and I, I wonder if this was also you know added to the pleasure I was getting from reading the book because I was reading about all these lovely clothes that I'm certainly not wearing at the minute I mean I'm spending quite a lot of time gardening other people are spending time watching tv we have to make ourselves look presentable sometimes for zoom meetings but clothes can they still be important in this sort of crisis where really what we're wearing is is we're not on display in the same way are we I think there are real divides um, amongst people on it. I mean, for instance, obviously, when I wrote the book, I had no idea that it was going to be published in the middle of a pandemic when we were all going to be locked inside. And, you know, first of all, when I sort of realised that's what was happening, I kind of panicked because for a moment I thought, oh, my God, who's going to want to read about clothes and then I thought well luckily it isn't just about clothes it is about it is about other things but then I thought again about it and I thought well actually clothes have a real role I think in in this time and I mean some people are absolutely thrilled that they can stay in their pajamas all day if they want to and they can wear the same t-shirt you know five days in a row and they're putting on a wash and spinning it dry and putting the clothes back on again and they don't have to bother I personally do not feel that way I feel that way madness literally madness lies (laughs) and I, I have to sort of pull myself together and get dressed and try and well not even try actually I mean I'm really quite enjoying what I wear now if I live completely on my own that would obviously be different but I do live with a partner and I think it's quite nice for him actually that I'm not just completely giving in to to slobdom but I know that my view is shared by other people but many people feel completely differently about it and I'll tell you what today this morning normally I have um a zoom yoga lesson at the moment and so I got up and I put on the clothes to do yoga and then needless to say the internet went down something went down here there was an outage and I couldn't do the yoga in the morning so I thought okay well I'll I'll get on with the ironing that I was going to do and I thought there's no point getting changed to do the ironing So I did the ironing without getting changed. And then the next thing I knew, there was something else to do. And suddenly I thought, oh, oh, no, hold on a moment. I'm just doing what I don't want to do. I do not want to spend all day in my yoga clothes. And anyway, I'm going to do a podcast. So I'm going to get changed to do the podcast. (laughs) This is exactly the problem, isn't it? Because time markers have shifted. This is exactly when you think, well, I can't go and, you know, I can't go to the potting shed in in my little black dress. Not that we're <laughs> wearing our little black dresses very much. But then it's the drift. It's the drift we think. And clothes do give us a kind of structure, don't they? I mean, I work at home a lot of the time, but then, you know, I would have been interviewing you at the Cambridge Literary Festival. I certainly hope to in the future. That would have been a totally different experience of getting up 
makeup, hair. Yeah. You put some thought into what you wear. You want to convey a certain way. But you do feel different, don't you? Well, whatever you wear, you feel different. I mean, whether you choose to, to wear, you know, trackies all day or whether you choose to put on a pair of heels and a kind of fitted dress, it's entirely your own choice and you feel different ways about it. I mean, I think one of the things, though, that in, in, in this time, where, as you say, time itself is quite hard to kind of catch hold of, you don't quite know where you are because all the sort of usual certainties about your time, or many of them, have shifted. I think how it actually feels on you is quite important. It makes a sort of a difference. Um, for instance, I have no desire to wear anything very harsh. I want to make an effort with what I wear, but I want them to be soft clothes. So, you know, I've been wearing a lot of, you know, soft sweaters and I haven't really been wearing high heels at all. And I've been trying to sort of wear less kind of um, denim than kind of softer fabric trousers, just because I think they're they're cosier um, and they're, they're more kind of nurturing. Yes, we want to we want to feel slightly comforted by our our clothes, don't we? Yeah. At the moment, yeah, yeah. Rather than feel we're going into battle with them, this is not the time for the dreadful phrase "power dressing," which I cannot stand. Um, <laughs> when you think about that that long period of editorship of Vogue and the power, at least influence that you did wield I mean we get a picture of that throughout throughout the book and sometimes in very very high profile ways I mean you influenced the dress that Kate Middleton wore to her wedding you know she chose McQueen because it was one of the suggestions that you had you had made and in fact you write very interestingly about just not knowing that was going to be the case until she actually emerged on the day but did that feel sometimes a very difficult kind of pressure, this thought that, you know, you would say something and, you know, it's that old sort of cliche, I suppose, of one word and hemlines go up and round again and all that sort of thing. Or did it just not really feel like that? People were always asking, you know, why is, why does fashion happen? Why are the, the trends there are, you know, why is it pink one season or, you know, or green velvet the next or whatever. And And it was always very hard to explain. But the point is that it isn't up to, any one of us just you know we're not like the the Roman emperor thumb up thumb down it's a huge collective that goes into making what are the fashions of the moment so I would say that I felt that as editor of Vogue I had an influence being able to portray the things that that we as a magazine thought would be the most relevant or or that we liked, but I never had a feeling that one was sort of making or breaking a trend. One area that you did have an impact on, though, was the idea of different body shapes and the idea that actually there shouldn't be a pressure on a model and therefore the rest of the fashion industry to be thin to the point of clear unhealth. I mean, I wonder what you feel about that now, because we do see that changing. We do see a different range of, of body types. But I mean, it went on for a long time, didn't it? I'm so pleased that that sort of body diversity message has just continued and, and getting stronger. It was something I felt was probably one of my campaigns was the idea that, well, I always 
felt that there was a problem that that young women sort of as role models who were fashionable and sort of looked glamorous could only see a very narrow range of people who were basically thin enough to fit into sample sizes of clothes or to to be admired because of their slimness whereas what I wanted was the idea that we could show people who were uh, doctors, um, air pilots, uh, philosophers, teachers, scientists, whatever, who could look equally glamorous and engage with their clothes, but not necessarily be of that shape. And that was something that was very much something I wanted to, I sort of infiltrated into the magazine. But it was difficult to do in many ways, partially because some women felt, as we spoke about earlier, that it wasn't appropriate to be seen looking like they were kind of fashion plates, sometimes because fashion houses didn't want to lend clothes to women who didn't fit their kind of template of who they wanted to be wearing them. And I'm very pleased that that does seem to be changing. However, and there are always caveats, what I see a lot of is is very extreme weight being celebrated. And I'm not sure that that's any better to be saying, I mean, it is not okay to be wildly overweight any more than it is to be wildly underweight. And I think, you know, what I'd like to see is your sort of, your size 14 to 16 woman sort of being being celebrated and, and held up there as, as looking good. And that's much harder to find than, say, the Lizzo's of the day, you know? Yes, yes, I I do understand understand that. Do you feel that that is actually something that's changing more on the high street in a way? We see a lot of more kind of mainstream, mid-brand fashion shops actually having a wider range of clothes sizes. But we don't really see high-end brands doing that so much, do we? I think that's absolutely right. I think high-end still, you know, you'll be... Even if you go into a sort of relatively expensive sort of boutique, as it were, you know, bricks and mortar shop, you will be hard pressed to find many size 14s, let alone above that. And certainly it was one of the things that always interested me is sort of the more fashion kudos a brand had, the smaller their sizes were. So, for instance, if I would be, say, a 12 in Jigsaw, I was never going to be a 12 in Saint Laurent or, or Chanel, you know, that their 12s were about a size 8 in Jigsaw, you know, so yeah. no uniformity of of sizes there. And do you think that that's, again, something that might might begin to change as, as fashion houses themselves kind of diversify? There are more of them. There are people from all sorts of different backgrounds and ethnicities. That's changing too. I mean, we thought of high fashioners coming from Italy and France for such a long time, but we see a much broader range of influences, I guess. Yeah, one of the interesting things, though, is that you see Asia, which has become a big market, sort of China, for instance, actually, their sizes are much smaller. So you would have thought that it was the American market, where people are quite often huge, that would have actually led to sort of larger sizes. But it didn't. So I, I'm not sure. I don't I can't make a call on that. I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Also, it's not in the way that it once was your job anymore to do that. Is it in that kind of, you know, you, you have moved 
away from that sort of monthly fashion magazine world, clearly you're still extremely interested in clothes and in the business and world of fashion. Um, but just tell us a bit about what you see the kind of next steps in your life has been, because there are so many different kind of strands in this book and so many different areas you could go into. Have you thought about what might come of um, life on Vogue? Well, thank you uh, for asking. Well, I'm really enjoying being a journalist again. I mean, I, I started off as a journalist and my parents were journalists and I'm lucky enough that at the moment I have a regular slot in the mail on Sunday and that enables me to write out about sort of little bits and pieces that I notice, which is a real luxury, actually, because it's, it's what, I've, what I've always thought about journalism is the, the privilege of being able to write about what you're interested in is, is rather a, a huge one. And um, so I feel lucky that, that I've got that. And then obviously the book has taken up a lot of my time. I've been working on a television drama series since I left Vogue with a, a colleague of mine and that is very much still in pre-production and, and moving along even in lockdown actually it's moving along quite well and we're rather excited about the possibilities for that and possibly there's another couple of TV things that, that may or may not come off and then I'm I'm really I'm very interested in sort of fashion and retail and the whole business of of how we buy clothes, why we buy clothes, and and what we buy. So there's there's a couple of things in that direction that I'm looking at. It is the fantastic thing if you've done the same job for 25 years. The the real excitement about being able to kind of dip your toe into other areas and is is huge. Um, and there's obviously a lot going on and a lot still to do. I'm going to just end by saying a big thank you because towards the end of the book you and I do remember this happening but I had forgotten until I read it again you talk about the moment that you were as it were outed by the tabloids for wearing a bikini and it's for and you you simply think to yourself well yeah I did I did wear a bikini and take a selfie and put it on Instagram what on earth could be news about that well newspapers will do what newspapers will do but your bikini was from Bowdoin and I read that and thought oh my god Alexandra Shulman gets bikinis at Bowdoin I feel this immense sense of relief because it is it's a sort of go-to safe place I find and I know people <gasps> can be snobby about it but I was so grateful to you <sighs> It was one. Thank, thank you, Alex. It was very nice for Bowdoin, I think. Uh, gave them a lot of exposure. I may not have been the best model for a Bowdoin bikini, but at least I got it out there. Well, you were, you were, you were a model who looked like we all look on holiday, happy and delighted to be on holiday and about to go and jump in a pool. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book, and I really hope that you will come to Cambridge when we're finally up and running again and back in the world and uh, talk to me about it in, in person. I mean, I will, of course, worry more intently about my outfit on that day, but having spoken to you, I don't think it will be too too much a terror. So thank you so much, Alexandra. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. It's been wonderful talking. That was Alexandra Shulman. I do hope you enjoyed it. 
Cambridge Literary Festival is a small charity and obviously we've been affected by the loss of our live spring festival. If you're able to donate anything to help us keep going, please do visit our website. And even more importantly, join us next time on the podcast. See you then.